Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. During a storm, the safest place for a ship is out at sea. Now, this might seem a little strange because it would seem natural for it to be tied safely to the dock. The problem is that during a really strong storm, when the wind and waves are really flexing their muscles, the ship can be repeatedly slammed against that same dock. And over time, it'll damage and potentially even destroy the ship. It's safest on the water during a storm because the ship was made to be on the water during a storm and during times of peace. Life can be much the same. While we may feel safe tied to the things we're used to or seemingly comforted by, we're actually safest in the arms of our Creator and His great plan for us. Now that still begs the question though, how do we navigate the waters of life and not sink? We explore that and more in our current series, Unsinkable, How to Navigate a Storm. Let's dive in together and continue the upward journey. Everybody's good. You look happy today. So glad to have every one of you here this morning. Let's welcome our crew who's joining us online today. Can we give a big hand of appreciation to them? Great online campus. We're so glad y'all are here with us today at Upward. You're part of this family. Thanks for joining us today. We've been sailing through this storm in our message series, Unsinkable. We've been sailing together in this for five weeks and talking about the storms of life that come our way. We, there's no denying that we have a global storm going on, a national storm going on. There's a lot of storms blowing in the land. And what has happened as a result of that is a lot of people are having their own personal spin-off storms, if you will. I know a whole lot of people who are dealing with storms right now in their lives, right? Do you know that? Have you looked around and you see people? It's not just COVID. It's not just political strife or racial strife. It's now moved into where people are experiencing their own kind of storms. I know people who are experiencing job storms right now, who are losing their jobs and having to look for other jobs now. I know some people that are in relational storms now. Anybody lost any friends over the last couple of years? Some people have. Uh, Relationships have been broken. All kinds of storms are on us right now. I'm thankful that the Bible is really honest about storms. I, I just love this about the Bible that the Bible does not gloss over these things and and act like they shouldn't happen. You ever been with somebody who's like maybe a real slick salesman, and they'll kind of tell you all the benefits of buying their product, but they won't tell you any of the difficulties? That's a sales tactic. Uh, The Bible is not into that. The Bible does not hide the fact that even if you have Jesus Christ in your boat with you, that you will go through some storms. I mean, the disciples literally had Jesus physically in the boat with them. They're sailing out over the sea, and all of a sudden they get in this terrible storm, and Jesus is right there, except he's asleep. Wait, what? Have you ever just thought, God, it seems like in the middle of my situation right now, You're not as worried about it as I am. Is that just me? You're like, God, I just wish you would wake up and get as worried about my situation as I am. That's one side of this. I want Jesus to wake up from his nap and at least start wringing his hands a little bit with me. I'm in the middle of the storm and I'm pacing the floor at night. I'm walking around. I'm hearing the lightning. I'm getting seasick from all the waves, and Jesus over here taking a nap 
almost seems uncaring. Like, God, are you not worried about this? But on the other hand, I need a Savior who can sleep in the middle of a storm. I need, you need somebody in your life that's not freaking out as much as you are. I need somebody who knows when to wake up and when to step out on the boat and say, as Jesus did, peace be still and the storm calms. So when you're worried that God's not worried enough, just be a little bit excited about this fact that He doesn't have to worry about any of these things because He is God. He sees things that we do not see. And at the right time, He's going to step up and speak to your storm and say, peace be still. Better days are coming in your life when you serve Jesus Christ. He has this under control. Can I get an amen this morning? Psalm 30 and verse 5 is one of my favorite verses, and it says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Some of you have been weeping through the night, and God has joy in your future. Good things are ahead for you in Jesus Christ. Will you believe that with me this morning, that God has joy that's coming into your life in the morning. Now, we've been in this series for five weeks, and we've been in Acts chapter 27. This is the fifth week, and we've been trying to communicate some very clear words from God about how to sail through a storm. We've learned four things, and we'll get into the fifth today. We've learned to let God drive, to take our hands off the steering wheel or the rudder, and just to let God be in control of our lives, to surrender our destinies completely to Him. We've learned to listen to the right people, right? I hope you're applying all these to your life. I hope these are not just sermons that you say, that was good this week. Now, I'm going to go out and do the same thing. I hope you're letting God be in control. I hope you're listening to the right people. We've learned to lighten our load. Anybody done that? Anybody quit some things you were doing and you've just said, I'm not going to try to do it? Some people got the victory back there. I can see it. I've quit doing some things. Lighten your load. And we learned last week to love those that are around us on the boat. In the midst of the storm, how do we love the people on this boat with us? Today, we're going to conclude this series with the last step. And here it is. Launch out in faith. Launch out in faith. Now, this one's a little scary. you got to have some faith to do this one. This one is not easy. We like to sit back and talk about how God is going to get us through this storm. But what we need to understand is that many times action is required on our part. This is not a passive endeavor. So many times in Jesus' ministry... In the lives of the disciples, they got their miracle, but they had to do something. I mean, uh, there's a situation where Peter and the disciples are in a boat, and they're fishing all night trying to catch fish, and they don't catch any fish, and they desperately need some fish. And Jesus said, okay, they're coming in, they're tired. And Jesus said, get to nets out again, unravel those nets, and cast them out to the right, And when they did, there were more fish in the net than they could possibly pull into the boat. The boat's about to sink with the weight of the fish. But understand, they had to cast the nets. God wants to do great things, but He wants you to take a step of obedience in faith to see that great thing come to pass. There's a situation where Jesus is teaching and 
at least 5,000 people are listening to him teach. Estimates are it's probably more like 15. They only counted the men. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, these people are hungry. And Jesus said, well, go feed them then. And they say, Lord, we don't have enough food to feed these people. He said, well, what do you have? This is a really good lesson. What's in front of you? He said, well, we got this kid over here with five loaves of bread and two fish. That about feed a teenage boy. But it won't feed 15,000 people. Jesus said, that's great. Let's pray over this food, and then you take it out and give it to the people. So he gives, I mean, there's, there's not even enough. What did he do? I guess he broke each loaf in half, maybe, and gave a piece. I, I don't have time here today to figure out the math. Maybe each disciple had half a loaf of bread and half a fish. They had a little cheese and tartar sauce. It had been a McDonald's filet of fish right there, right? <laughs> But he said, go feed these people. So that took a real act of faith. Matthew has a piece of bread and a fish. And Jesus said, see those thousand people over there? Go feed them with this. What? Go feed them. But when he did, every time he gave a loaf out, another loaf appeared. Every time somebody grabbed a part of a fish, more appeared. And 15,000 people were fed. The miracle happened as they acted on what Jesus said. There was a lady who had a blood hemorrhage. The Bible said she tried every doctor and had spent all of her money on it for years and was none better but kept getting worse, spending all her money. And she heard that Jesus was coming by and she said, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be made whole. And she pressed through the crowd. You ever tried to press through a crowd? She's fighting her way through the crowd to get to Jesus. And about all that she can do is get a hand through the crowd. She just grabs hold of his robe. And immediately, Jesus is being beat to death by people. People are everywhere. Everybody's touching him and grabbing him. And when she touched him, Jesus said, Whoop, I felt something. He said, healing power just went out of me. Somebody touched me in faith, and he looked over, and she fell down thinking she'd done something wrong. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. She had to reach out and touch Jesus, right? The whole other situation, and this is about my favorite one, there's a blind man who comes to Jesus for healing. And Jesus does not lay hands on him and heal him. Jesus goes crazy. First thing he does, he spits. I bet you, you've never been in your local Christian bookstore and seen a picture of Jesus spitting. He's always so nice and proper. He's sitting there with the sheep, and he's just got children around, and you got this nice Jesus. My Jesus knew how to spit. Yeah. I can tell you're excited by that. Just how weird this is. He spits on the ground. Don't tell me God doesn't do weird stuff. He spits on the ground and starts making mud pies out of spit. And then sticks that in the guy's eyes. I'm never going to that church again. And tells him to do what he's obviously going to do anyway. 
is go wash this mud out of your eyes. So he tells him this specific place. The guy washes the mud out of his eyes. And when he washes the mud out of his eyes, he can see. In every one of these instances, God had a miracle plan and Jesus wanted to do something and he did something, but he required action on the part of the people that received the miracle. God wants to get you through this storm and he will, but it requires some action on our part. We're not to be passive here, sitting around saying, oh, well, God, just do what you're going to do. There are a couple of concepts here that are held in tension by the Bible and held in tension by uh, the story in Acts chapter 27. The first concept is fatalism. You ever been around a fatalist? Fatalism just says whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's predestined and I can't do anything about it. The joke's told of the fatalist who fell down the stairs and when he got to the bottom he said, I'm glad that's over. I knew that wouldn't go over. I didn't even tell it in first service, but you look so friendly, I thought I'd try that one on you. Nope. Didn't work. And explaining it won't help either. (laughs) Fatal has just said, this is the way it is, and there's nothing I can do about it. If you're a fatalist, you just say, okay, God's in the driver's seat, I'm just going to sit back here and twiddle my thumbs and just see what God does. Fatalistic Christians think God's going to save whoever he wants to save. So me telling somebody about Christ, it really doesn't matter. The only problem with that is Jesus said, go into all the world and share the gospel, preach the gospel, make disciples of every person. Some people think if God wants to heal somebody who's sick, he's just going to do it and I'm just going to be an observer. The only thing is Jesus told his disciples, you go out and heal the sick. Fatalism just says, hey, let's just sit back and do nothing. Fatalism makes us passive. Then there's another side to this, an opposite side called free will. And free will says this, that my future is completely dependent on my choices. That my future is what I make of it. Anybody ever watch Back to the Future? What's really sad about the Back to the Future movies is that the future they went to is behind us now. Take a deep breath, everybody. Marty McFly came to the past in our world. But if you remember at the end, Doc Brown says to Marty, Marty, the future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Now, we like the sound of that more than fatalism. But that really stinks too. Because if my future is the result of my choices, me and you are in big trouble. If my future is solely dependent on my choices, I don't have much of a future. Because I've seen what my choices can do. Just let me tell y'all, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, y'all better just do something quickly. Y'all better do something else. I've done some stupid stuff in my life. Have you? 
man, I've made some messes. I've made mistakes as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. I've done things. I look back on some of the decisions I made as a young preacher, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Made people mad that I didn't have to make mad. Thought I was right. I just don't trust my decision-making ability to create much of a future for me. Maybe you don't have that problem. I'm thankful that my choices, my stupid choices, are not influencing my future today because Jesus intervened with a thing called grace. And He washed away the stupidity of my past. And He's still working on the stupidity in my present. I thank God, either one of these things, fatalism or free will, makes me want to go in the bedroom and lock the door. Fatalism, because I can't do anything anyway. Free will, because I'm afraid I will do something. Which one of these does the Bible endorse? Neither one. The Bible holds a tension between the two. Now, as Christians and sometimes as thinkers, we're not comfortable with tension between two concepts. But tension is a very good thing. I like to say this a lot. This building is held up by tension. This side of the building is bolted to the, to the foundation. That side of the building is bolted to the foundation. Those bolts are pulling against each other and holding this building up in tension. And sometimes tension between competing ideas holds principles secure and safe and keeps us on the road. And there needs to be a tension between fatalism and free will. I'm not just sitting back on this ride and God's determining everything and my choices don't determine everything in my life. You see, there are two concepts in the Bible pulling against each other in a healthy tension. The two concepts are God's sovereignty and individual responsibility. God's sovereignty and individual responsibility. What's God's sovereignty means? It means He's in charge, He's powerful, He's in control, He's working His plan. And this is the good news about it. His plan is going to come to pass in the end. That is the sovereignty of God. He has your life in His hands. He has a purpose for you. And He's powerful enough to get you to the destination. That's good to know. I rest in that. That He is sovereign and He does what He wants to do. The other side is individual responsibility. What does that mean? What does individual responsibility mean? It means if I do something really stupid, I can derail what God wants to do in my life. If I decide to go way up on the Blue Ridge Parkway today and jump off, That's going to be a problem for God's plan for my life. Can He save me? He certainly can. But I can mess up the plan. I can derail what He wants to do. See, the key here is to cooperate with God in His sovereignty and to take the steps of faith He wants to put in front of us. In Acts 27, we see both of these things at work. Acts 27, we're back in our storm again. Verse 22, Paul says, Take courage, 
None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. Paul's got a word from God. There's good and bad news. You're going to be safe. The ship's going to sink. (laughs) Do you want the good news first or the bad news first? Ship's sinking. You're going to be okay. See, he has the sovereignty of God here. God's got this, and he's going to save us, guys. It's okay. Later, there's a situation where the crew of the ship, the sailors... They start seeing the situation for what it is, and they start understanding, this ship's going to sink. And the sailors try to sneak away and get in the lifeboat and leave. (laughs) What if you're on a cruise ship, and I know where you'll be. You'll be at the buffet bar, (laughs) eating your fourth donut. You got a half-eaten donut in your mouth, and you look out the window, and you see the captain and the mates and everybody else jumping on a lifeboat. Like, wait, what? I better get out there. Soon as I finish this cheeseburger, I'm getting out of there. (laughs) This is bad news. And Paul said this. He said to the commanding officer, he notices these sailors leaving, and he says to the commanding officer, you will all die unless the sailors, sailors stay aboard. In other words, God wants to save everybody on this boat. But if they leave, they're going to die, and we could too. The soldiers stop the sailors. One preacher said this is the first Army-Navy game. <laughs> the soldiers basically said to the sailors, you're not leaving Because you could die and we could die without you. You see what's working here? Fatalism would have said, okay, Paul said that we're going to make it, so break out the shuffleboard. Let's just put deck chairs out here and enjoy this storm and just ride it out. Free will said, hey, stupid choices are made. Destruction can result. The sovereignty of God and individual responsibility work together. And we're going to see this as we land this boat today. Anybody ready to get this boat on the beach? Amen. Acts 27, 39 says this. We're going to walk through the rest of this quickly. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. They're looking at Malta. Let's look at the map really quick one more time. Uh, Paul left from Caesarea over here on the right. That arrow traces his journey. They got in the storm about where you see the word Phoenix on the island of Crete. The storm blew them westward, and they got to the northern coast of the island of Malta you see there. Next slide will show you the bay that they were actually looking at is there today. And and the coastline of it looks much as it did uh, in Paul's day. This today is actually called St. Paul's Bay. When you land the ship safely, they may name the place after you. If you go inland just a little bit, and I didn't get this picture because I was jealous of it, there is a beautiful set of resorts with blue water and swimming pools and everything else. It looks absolutely like heaven, not what it looked like when Paul got there. So they get to the edge of this bay, and they see this coastline, and they think, if we can just get to the beach, we'll be okay. So they pointed the boat to land on the beach, and they started for the beach. How many think that sounds like a good plan? 
Point this boat to the beach and let's get on dry land and out of this boat. We've been here 14 days. It's dark. We're sick. We can hardly eat. And we're ready to get off this boat. So what they did is they started this boat for the beach thinking they're going to land. But something unseen came up. Have you ever had that happen? You think you're almost there and something hits. Verse 41 says, But they hit a shoal, a sandbar, a shallow spot, and they ran the ship aground too soon. And the bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. They got stuck in a sandbar. The bow was buried in the ground. And that's a bad place to be in a storm because when you're stuck and can't move with the waves the waves will start to tear the ship up. So they're stuck and the waves are breaking up the back of the ship. And as they look back sternward, they see the ship starting to come apart. Anybody other than me ever just prayed to God and said, God, I was almost there. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. We were almost out of this thing. And now we're stuck, and it looks like everything's going to fall apart. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever just ask God? Now, now at Upward, we're just honest around here. I said, we're just honest. We don't try to act more spiritual than we are. If you're one of these folks that's never had a trial, never had any tribulation, and never doubted God, you're going to have to get real. Have you ever just said to God, Lord, why does it have to be so hard? I prayed that this week. I'm just like, Lord, I just need a break here. I just need something to go the right direction. Lord, you see all this other stuff I'm dealing with. You ever pray a prayer like that? And Lord, I just like for one thing to go right today. I felt like I was almost there, and out of nowhere, this sandbar, and now it looks like things have gone from bad to worse. The ship's starting to break apart. Why does God let us get in those situations? I've learned this the hard way. Oftentimes, what God is doing is He's allowing the things you're trusting in other than Him to get broken up by the storm so that you will trust Him completely. And that's not a fun place to be, friends. That's not the kind of place you want to shout and sing. That's the place you just want to cry. Because you see some things that you trusted in sinking. Let me tell you what God will do in your life. He'll let a job sink out from under you if that job was your God. Because He wants to be your God. He'll let a relationship sink out from under you if that relationship was your God. Because He wants to be your God. We make God out of all kinds of stuff, right? Our bank account may be God. Our job can be God. A boyfriend, a girlfriend may be God. They may be our security. 
And in the midst of this storm, things that we held on to for security are slipping away from us. And could it be in your life that God's let some things sink out from under you so that you would trust Him completely? Could it be? Now, the story gets a little more scary. You ready for this? That was a question. The soldiers see all this happening. And they wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul. So the scripture said he didn't let them carry out their plan. Paul saved the rest of the people on ship because of the favor God gave him. But here's the scary part. The commanding officer it said then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. What? Jump overboard? You mean I've got to swim? I thought God was going to deliver us. Well, He will. But sometimes you've got to swim the last couple hundred yards. Here's the good news. God's going to get you there. But you've got to do some swimming in the meantime. It doesn't mean you just sit back and rest. It means you do what God has called you to do. You mean swim? Yep. Verse 44, it gets even worse. The others. You know who the others are? The others are the people who never went to the YMCA and took swimming lessons. (laughs) These people could not swim. So he said, who can swim? Hands go up. He said, y'all jump now. (laughs) That's not a comfortable spot to be. When God says jump, you got to get in the water. Then it says this, those who couldn't swim, he said, y'all jump too. But grab onto some planks and debris from the ship. For them, it was wonderful that the ship was breaking apart because they needed the broken pieces of the ship to hold on to to paddle to shore. They've got to take a huge step of faith. They've got to swim. Anybody like swimming? You ever been in a pool that had the shallow end and then it starts sloping down to the deep end? When you're a little kid, you feel big time that you can be in the shallow end, but you kind of want to creep down to the deep end, and you're not sure you can swim yet, and you start going down that slope, and the water starts getting higher and higher and higher. As long as your feet's on the ground, feet are on the ground, you're not swimming. Reminds me of a passage in Ezekiel. You ever read Ezekiel? How many have ever read Ezekiel? I understand. Or should I say, I don't understand. You ever read Ezekiel, you'll be like, I have no idea what's going on. If you read that and don't understand, you're a normal human being. Some books in the Bible are not light reading. Some of them require some intense, deep study to really understand what's going on. Ezekiel's got this vision of walking from the temple of God. And out from under the temple, there's a river flowing. And it's the river of God, and it represents the Holy Spirit. And Ezekiel said, I'm walking in it. And it's like Ezekiel's walking down the slope of a pool. Ezekiel's like, I'm walking in this water. And that water's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit water is up to my ankles. Then he said, I walk out a little further and it gets up to my knees. Then I get out a little further and it's up to my chest. And then I just launched out. And he said, now there's water to swim in. It is so comfortable to just get up to the ankles in the Holy Spirit. Because your feet is still on the ground. It's even, 
It's better to get up to your knees. That's when you get Pentecostal. <laughs> right. You just, just going to church here in the ankle. Boy, you Pentecostal now, it's up here. Yeah. Then you get up to the chest. Now you charismatic. <laughs> you done got wild now. <laughs> All those labels mean nothing. Ezekiel said, I'm going further than that. I'm going to get out where my feet aren't even on the ground anymore. You know what happens when you get in water that your feet's not on the ground? You go where the water goes. I don't care how good a swimmer you are. You get in the ocean, you're moving with that water. That's what God wants us to be in the Holy Spirit. He wants us to launch out to a place when we're not in control anymore. I don't like that. I'll just be honest with you. I like control. I like to feel like I can get my arms around it. But God's calling us to a place of launching out and swimming in water. But it's water that's directed by His Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit water is going to take us to a place of freedom. See, the current was actually helping them swim as God directed it. Do you understand that? You get swimming, God's going to put a current behind you. This is so good, I just want to preach through the next service. But I'll get to do it again. Here's your action step for today. You ready for it? Do the next right thing. There's a song in a Disney movie. I did not get this from Disney. Do the next right thing. Whatever is in front of you to do, do it. In an old Presbyterian manse in Europe, over the fireplace is engrave the words in a rock, do the next thing. What is the next step of faith that God is calling you to take? Sometimes it's obvious. What's the next thing you need to do to break through this stuck place in your life? Anybody ever been stuck in your marriage? Nobody wants to say yes to that one. You ever just felt like in your marriage you got to a place when you were stuck? Nobody's really happy? And you got to fix that? Well, preacher, my wedding, my marriage is just not like those Hollywood things. I've watched The Notebook about 15 times, and my relationships are just not like that. They never sat down and had a budget meeting in The Notebook. I never saw anybody load the dishwasher in the notebook. You ever loading the dishwasher, cleaning out the refrigerator and thinking, am I the only one that ever does this? Yeah. See, I'm reading your mail now. Never happens in the notebook. That's Hollywood. This is life. If you're stuck in your marriage, your next step may be to go talk to somebody together and get some counseling. Yeah, I said that word. Because you two together are stuck and you need a third person, a voice in your life, a godly influence to speak to you. And you may need to sit down and talk with somebody. Now, some of you here are watching online. Your spouse has been aggravating you for months. We got to go talk to somebody. And you've been like, no, nah, I'm not sure and you've been like, well, if God gives me a sign, we'll go. Well, here it is, my friend. This is your sign from God today. God has done this. 
I love you. You may not love me a whole lot right now, but that's okay. Go to counseling. My wife and I have been because we're human and we argue. I've been by myself. She's been by herself. We've been together. We need lots of help, but we go get it. Maybe you, there's a career you've been dreaming about in front of you. I had a, a young lady sit down one time and she said, I, my dream is I want to be a lawyer. And I want to be a Christian lawyer. And I think that's a wonderful uh, profession and needs Christians there. I want to be a Christian lawyer. I said, wonderful. Why aren't you doing it? She said, well, it would take me like six or eight years. I said, how old are you? She's like, I'm 24. This is what I said. I said, do you plan to be alive in eight years? How old do you be? Well, I'll be 32. I said, do you think you'll live to 32? Yeah, I believe I will. I said, well, when you're 32, you're either going to have that degree or not. Would you like to have it when you're 32? I would. Then you better sign up for a class today. See, many times, anybody, anybody out there... Uh, you overthink things. Do we have any overthinkers in the room? You just you're worried about step 16. And step 16 is keeping you from taking step one. See, here's what here's the key. Start with what's in front of you. Start with what's right here. Do the next right thing. And here's what's happened. Once you pass step one, two gets easier. And then three, four, five, six. And by the time you get to step 16, you've got so much momentum behind you that it's not nearly as bad as you thought it was going to be. You just need to do the next thing. Start with what's in front of you. Then I'm quitting. Embrace small steps. It doesn't have to be a huge leap. It can be a small step. I read this story. And when I first read this story, I thought it was absolutely stupid. So I'm not sure if it's going to work with y'all. If it works better than that fatalist joke, I'll be happy. <laughs> we always ask each other in staff meeting, what was the low point of your week? And I'm going to be like, that joke. heard this true story this guy was really heavy and he wanted to lose some weight and he sat down with the counselor to talk about it and the counselor said what do you want to be and he said well he said I really respect those people who go to the gym four times a week and a good step for you is to do what the people you respect do if you're out driving and see somebody jogging down the road or biking or something you think man I respect that then, then go do it. <laughs> that went over as good as that joke did. <laughs> Counselor said, okay, you want to go to the gym four days a week? He said, yeah, I do. He said, well, why aren't you going? He said, I'm embarrassed to go in. He said, I'm heavy. He said, and all those people in there are really fit. You can tell he's never actually been in there. all those people can lift weights more than I can and, and he said I'm just going to be that 
heavy guy in there trying to, and everybody's going to be looking at me. And his counselor said this. He said, here's what you do. And, and this is what I thought was so stupid. He said, for the next two weeks, here's your goal. Get up, put on your gym clothes, and just drive to the gym. Sit there for 10 minutes and come home. I'm like, what? You're not going to lose any weight just driving to the gym. Especially if you stop and get a McGriddle on the way home. Because that's what I would do. The counselor said, no. Just drive there four days a week same time in your gym clothes for the next two weeks. I said, that, that won't work. He said, just do it. Guy got up, put on his gym clothes, tennis shoes, drove to the gym, couldn't go in, sat there 10 minutes, went home. On the third week, it had become a habit. And on the third week, he actually went inside. And he became the guy that he wanted to be and he lost all his weight and it just started by just driving there the more I thought about that I thought that sounded stupid but that's genius it doesn't have to be a huge world changing step a small step in the right direction is so powerful for your life first step for you might be just saying Jesus yes whatever you want for my life I agree. I'm turning everything over to you. Would you bow with me for prayer today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this day and the time we have together with your people. And we ask you today that decisions will be made to follow you. How many would say right here in this place, not going to embarrass anybody, but say, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Can I see your hand really quick? Won't embarrass you. Anybody? God bless you. Thank you so much. Saying yes to Jesus. Somebody else? Somebody else? Online, online, saying yes to Jesus. There's a button there you can press, yes to Christ. How many say, Pastor, I'm going to do the next thing. I see the next thing. We're going to do the next thing. Can I see your hand right now? We're going to do the next thing. Amen. Yep, yep, good, awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. Next thing. Father, today we just say yes to you. Jesus, we say yes to you with our lives. We turn from sin. We turn from wrong. I just give my life to you today. Pray this prayer. I give my life to you today. I ask your forgiveness. And from this day forward, I walk with you, your hand in mine. I say yes to you. Amen, amen, amen. Hadn't it been a good day? And we had a good day today? I've had fun. Hope you've been blessed today. A couple good things. Stand up, will you? Stand up with me. A uh, couple good things coming up. Church starting a podcast. That's going to roll out in the next couple weeks. Podcast is going to be called Good News Hendo. That sound good? We're going to be talking about good things that are happening in our community, not just at Upward. Anytime we catch somebody serving somebody else in a powerful way, we're going to try to get them on a podcast and broadcast that to everybody in Hendersonville and give them an opportunity to serve. It's part of our mission, right? Not just to gather here, but to serve. So i am uh, got one scheduled. We're uh, recording one with the sheriff uh, this week, and I'm excited about that. We've already recorded one. That should uh, launch here in just the next couple weeks. We're really excited. We'll tell you how to connect with that. Also, in a couple weeks, just a couple weeks down the road, we're going to start a new sermon series. We're going to talk for a few weeks about the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? 
ready for that. The third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We see a couple mistakes people made. They either make the Holy Spirit so crazy and weird and unrelatable that no one can get a hold of it and no one can receive it. Or they deny the Holy Spirit altogether and just act like He's gone away. We're going to be... uh, a New Testament church. That is our desire. And the New Testament church had the passion, the purpose, and the power of the Holy Spirit in evidence. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit starting in a couple weeks. That'll be a fun series. And that's going to take us to Thanksgiving. Can you believe we're there already? Can you believe it? Oh, good things. We're going to have a great end to the year in 2021. Let me bless you now. I bless you with the words of the Apostle Paul. This is what he said. Forgetting the things that are behind and pressing forward to the things that are ahead. I want to bless you today with the ability to forget what's behind. The ability to forget your past. The ability to forget your bad choices. The ability to let go of everything behind you that's holding you. And the ability to reach forward to that next thing that's in front of you. God wants you future focus, not living in regret, but grasping the future in faith. I bless you with that today in the name of Jesus. And now I challenge you and commission you to step out of this place and take Jesus everywhere you go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Make him known this week. Love y'all so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.